Hello, beautiful people. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Chris Alamri. And Chris is a brilliant dude. He holds a degree from Stanford University in electrical engineering. Now he scales six-figure businesses into seven-figure businesses. But this episode isn't about that. This episode isn't about electrical engineering. It's not about Stanford. It's not about growing your own business. This episode is about spiritual growth. And I had no idea where this conversation was going to go. But Chris is so full of love and so full of energy. We had an incredible time. This might even be my longest podcast yet. And so if you enjoyed this conversation, let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda. This is a rel- relatively new podcast. So if you could add a review on iTunes or if you tell a friend about it, it would really, really, really go a long way. And I would appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. If not, that's all good too. This conversation is for your listening pleasure. And without further ado, let's get to it. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. So why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, so I was born in Virginia, but I went back to Morocco when I was one and lived most of my life there. Went to a French high school and then around 16, I kind of started getting ready to um, come to the U.S. So I was kind of like resolute in that. And I learned English about like 15, 16. And then I ended up moving to uh, San Francisco when I was 18 to study basically at, at Stanford. And then I ended up studying electrical engineering there. And um, and then I did all kinds of things, more like startup related projects, like throughout like school, then graduated and dropped one of the main projects that I was working on that was like healthcare related after a year of working on it. And then at that point, I moved to Seattle and then I kind of like moved away from all this engineering stuff and into the marketing world. And so at that point, I really had zero dollars and zero idea about uh, what I was doing, but it ended up working out really fine and ended up kind of launching a marketing agency that partnered with people and to help them kind of allocate their money. So it was really all the marketing and also all the strategy. And um, yeah, that's kind of like more the content, like without touching maybe the spiritual side of things. One of the things that you didn't really touch on when you were talking just now, but one of the things that I want to talk to you about was your thread of who you were and specifically this situation of having a a near-death experience while surfing. And... I just I wanted to dive into this because I wanted to know more about this. What was that like, and what happened, and what was going on in your mind? And talk to us a little bit about your near death experience while surfing. Yeah, so I was about sixteen, and I've surfed since I was maybe like eleven, and and basically it was uh, it was during really like a pretty intensive year. But I decided essentially to go surfing really early in the morning 
and I was alone, like by myself. And the place was really foggy, so I ended up kind of going far out into the ocean, and I couldn't see really the beach break. And essentially, what happened is that the waves were like fairly big, but I also had like an asthma attack. And so usually that doesn't happen as often to me, but it happened in the water. And I basically was really struggling to leave the water. And so I was kind of in that state for about an hour. And so what happened is that every time the wave would kind of go through, I would be submerged underwater. And most of the time I would open my eyes underwater just because I really thought this was the end. I was drinking also like a lot of water. And I really felt like I was going to drown. And this kind of also kept happening. And over time, like there was this essentially this one moment where I was underwater and I had drank so much water at that point. And I was really suffocating like from the asthma attack that um, it's like almost like I suddenly like disappeared and kind of became a more like expensive like field. And there was this sense of, of like, profoundity to it. It was almost like the depth of my experience like was increased by 100%. And I really felt like at that moment, like if, like if everything was totally fine and everything was like, you know, um, like all was well, essentially. And that piece was insane because it also felt like a very dark experience. Like I was, um, it felt like almost like a like luminous darkness in a way. But the, that state was just so profound that I remember also that kind of force or that states that I was in really helped me kind of pull it through. And um, like I, I struggled maybe after that, like at least 40 minutes before I managed to get out of the ocean. Um, yeah, I can expand more, but that's kind of what happened. Did did that experience affect your you're wanting to surf again? Um, so somehow, like, it's like, I I definitely, it didn't affect at all, like, my, uh, me wanting to surf. Like, I definitely surfed probably the week after. Um, it, like, what it mostly affected me was just, like, kind of the intensity of the state really left me kind of wondering about, you know, what was that about, essentially? Like, how come did I get so close to this? And even my, how my mind was that was in a very... Uh, totally familiar state. Like I felt like I was processing all kinds of information like very fast, but I was, um, yeah, it was pretty intense. <laughs> it's crazy, man. And it led you to explore the depths of what that meant, right? And, yeah. and so I definitely want to touch on the, and get into the marketing stuff, but mm. I also want to get into this aspect of you what road did you then go down when you started to explore the depths of your being? Yeah, so at that point, I was also kind of trying to, you know, go to the U.S., like learning English. It was a very intensive year. Um, and at the same time, I think that experience really kind of, kind of put me closer to what that means and what I want to do with my life. And I really feel like after that, I really had like kind of like a, almost like a fire that, woke up within me where I was like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. Like, I just felt so much more freed up from um, from what I want to do with my life. I just felt way more free and way more open about what that might look like. And so 
And so that's kind of what led me also to wanting to go um, to the US and to kind of explore uh, what I could do there. And so, yeah, it was also at that time, I was also starting to read all kinds of spiritual material because I was trying to understand what was going on. So I, I really didn't understand, I think, much at the time, but I feel like the seeds were kind of planted. <laughs> so what type of spiritual material did you walk into and run into? I know I there's like, probably a like, bunch, but but give yeah. us some of your the the resources that really hit you. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like people around me uh, gave me like the classic, which was like Eckhart Tolle, and I remember reading it, and um, and it kind of like for me, it made like a lot of like intuitive sense, but I was still kind of pushing against kind of like some of these ideas you know you hear about like the eternal now or like there's only this present moment or like you know you just start to think about the ego and what that means and for me at that time it was like kind of an intuitive sense but I, I was still like I didn't get it at all um, but it was still something that I was open to and I also had like a music teacher that kind of was a mentor to me that also exposed me to all kinds of things. He would just tell me all kinds of crazy stuff about consciousness and how, you know, there's like a soul and all of these things. And at that time I was very receptive to what he would say, but I was still kind of opposing it. It was still kind of, in my head, it was a little bullshit, essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I was kind of navigating those two. So it was a, a little cognitive dissonance there, but yeah. Yeah, man. I I remember reading The Power of Now uh, five years ago, and mm-hmm. I was like, "What is this? This is nonsense. Why? Why is this guy <laughs> talking like this? Like, why is he he's saying these things?" And and then I read it more recently, and, and a lot of it made a lot of sense to me. And it's just it's mm-hmm. interesting how how you read a book at one time and and a resource isn't ready to hit you, but you read it at another time, and and it's like, wow, that that makes a lot of sense. So talk to me a little bit about what, what resources have, have really hit you and really changed your perspective. What books can someone read right now who, I mean, obviously everyone's at a different place in their journey, but talk to us about some of the books or, or resources that really blew your mind. Yeah, like there are so many. Like I think I read like, like hundreds of books in that, in that department. I think it really varies depending on what level uh, of opening like someone has towards this material. I would say that, um, like, I think even the books from like Eckhart Tolle are like interesting just in the sense that they, they're like still like fairly friendly. Like there's not that much like technical jargon going on there. Um, I would say like the books from uh, Anthony DeMello mm-hmm. um, are like pretty good. Like he's very friendly if you're like kind of new to this whole uh, business, essentially. Um, I think a a book that if you're already a little open to this, that's specifically about how to get free from your superego. And I can go into that, but the superego is kind of like the structure that you develop when you're early on that kind of stores a little like your ideals and your ways of being in the world and kind of regulates it. So it's usually people call it also the inner critic. Um, and there's a book called soul without shame that I think is really good that learning how to be free from it. And I think that's like a major step to be free from that thing, because ultimately I think you can totally exist without 
any voice in your head telling how you should be. And I think that's huge. And, um, and that book is kind of connected to also like the books that have probably impacted me the most are books from A.H. Almas. Um, and, um, his books are amazing. Like maybe the unfolding now is really a book that I would uh, recommend. It kind of helps people kind of walk through what it means, um, to live in the now essentially, and how you can kind of clear up whatever uh, limiting ideas or constructs you might have that prevents this perception. And yeah, I think he's one also the really like pioneer of merging depth psychology with spirituality in a way that's very unified. And yeah, that's amazing. So that would be a recommendation. His stuff is a little bit more advanced um, and a bit technical, but it's amazing. Awesome. Well, those will both be in the show notes at dannymiranda.com slash podcast. And, you know, kind of touching on this topic is your currently your Twitter name is being and B-E-I-N-G all in caps. And I wanted you to expand on this a little more. Like why being, what does that mean to you? And I, I just found it very interesting. Yeah, I think it probably helped like to kind of trace back a little like I think the journey of how I got exposed to those things because I think it gives a lot of context. It's like basically when I was 20, I kind of experimented a lot at that point with um, like psychedelics and stuff, which kind of exposed me a little to I just kind of um, I feel like it just exposes to just a more experiential bandwidth of like what consciousness might be. And at that point, I felt like just a little bit more open to kind of changing my ideas about how I see the world. And essentially, I went through a very intense experience out of nowhere. I was sober. And um, and that experience essentially was me feeling like uh, I was sitting in a park and I felt like I was really everywhere. And it didn't feel like um, it really felt like everything that was moving was me moving. And there was no Chris at that point. And it was incredibly incredibly profound and after that i kind of really dove in much more deeply into what spirituality might be and at that point too i was very i would say in the scientific worldview and i was really kind of trying to expose kind of this spirituality from that vantage point as something that doesn't really make sense so it's kind of funny that i really came came around it But essentially, I went to this retreat that um, was in the Mahamudra tradition. And essentially, by the end of the retreat, I kind of like replicated that state in a way that was totally systematic. And that was a huge shift because essentially, like for the first time in my life, like it was just mind blowing for me because it was kind of like getting a taste of what enlightenment might be, which is kind of like moving our level of identity from, for example, being a person in the world to being, for example, the consciousness that's aware of the person in the world. So I guess when I'm talking about like being Chris Lemmerys, like to me, like even Chris or like the whole personality or character that I am is arising within a larger uh, identity that would take, which is much more expanded, which would be, for example, like could say it's consciousness. And um, yeah, so like, it's much more free. And so that's why, like, to me, being is kind of the existence that's there 
prior to any knowledge that we have about the world. So we might think that the world is a certain kind of way, but our beingness is before any of those concepts. And it like kind of like supersedes any of the ideas that we might have, any of the ideals or beliefs or projections that we might have about who and what we are. And I think that, um, yeah, it's like being Crystal Emery is kind of like <laughs> the game I'm playing in the sense, because it's like, I'm technically being, but that being is also uh, like Crystal Emery is within that. So, yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating stuff, man. And uh-huh. I'm yeah. only really trying to follow it a little bit because mm-hmm. some of it is just way above my level of, of comprehension mm-hmm. and maybe to those listening as well. But yeah. it, it it's just like... So let me get this straight. Like, I am yeah. Danny Miranda, but I am aware that I'm Danny Miranda. And so mm-hmm. where where do I get to the point of, of yeah. just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, yeah, I know what it's, you're saying. It's, it's hard for me, man. Like, because I'm really just yeah. trying to, I'm yeah. trying to honestly think about yeah. how how what you're saying is, is true. And right. I can't. I can't get my yeah. mind there. So Yeah, so 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 first of all, like for me it was kind of also the case where I was like I had all these experiences that happened out of nowhere and it was just almost impossible. Like I was trying to get there, like thinking about it, how can I get there? And it's really hard to kind of move, for example, beyond the mind with the mind, because the mind can't think itself out of the equation. So it's kind of like a little like tricky there. But I think that for example, if I am here aware like basically what we can realize is that this awareness is basically what we are and that what arises within that awareness is just stuff that we are also aware of, but it is less us than the awareness. And so when that happens, usually there is just an increased spaciousness in like the way we see ourselves. So you might kind of actually see how the person that you are it's just something that you are aware of, essentially. And sometimes you're not even aware of it. You might be aware of something, like, different. And so, clearly, you can't be that thing that sometimes is there and sometimes it isn't. Whereas the awareness is really there all the time. Like, you can't even, if you try to not be aware now, it's impossible. Like, you can't not be aware, essentially. And so, yeah, and so I guess that's like an easy, like, or it's like if you drop your thoughts aggressively, like if your life depended on it for like five seconds, or you drop everything you think that you are, then immediately there's like a little gap where you're like, oh, like this is kind of what I am more. And, and the more we kind of do this, the more there is more and more spaciousness, and we kind of see more and more kind of that we are not, for example, like the collection of thoughts or ideals we have about ourselves. They might still arise as the awareness, um, but they're, they define us much less. So we're like much free, freer from it. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I'm with you now. <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying cool. because these are, this is what happens during meditation where, mm-hmm. you know, you'll have moments where you'll be thinking about yourself. You'll be thinking about, you know, what you're going to do later today. And then, all of a sudden, you're not thinking about anything and you're not thinking about yourself and you're almost in between that state of of awake and sleeping, but you're just somewhere yeah. in the middle. And mm-hmm. and that, I believe, is, is what you're talking about, at least slightly, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's like it gives like an immediate sense of it, where it's like we stop kind of seeing the world like through our like uh, like I I see kind of the ego or like our persona as like a cluster of all kinds of um, uh, ways that we relate to the world, and it's like when we move away from it, then we kind of see something more fundamental that's kind of always there, and yeah, and I think. What's also like sometimes confusing is that often people will be like, oh, but your thoughts are not you and stuff. But and it's like it's a useful pointer to kind of be like, oh, when there are no thoughts, like what's going on? Like what am I when I can't even think of what even a person might mean? You're still there. So it's like it's like a more fundamental way of shifting our identity to something that's a bit more expanded. But the thing is, like even thoughts are this awareness are the same consciousness. Even the ego is just consciousness as well. So it's just that. Um, usually when those happens, we just lose the awareness that we are the awareness. And so usually people might say that it's bad, but you can have those two happen at the same time. When you're like, oh, I am the awareness that is aware of itself as well as the person that is within that. <laughs> That's crazy, man. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and it, it just, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds trippy. Like it doesn't sound like, Real, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like people are probably listening to this and being like, "What is this guy talking about?" You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I I kind of know what you're talking about, but at the same time, I'm also like, "What the hell is this guy talking about?" Like, it's a different, yeah. it's a, it's like it's beyond my current level of comprehension. Mm -hmm. So, so, yeah. uh, so talk to like talk to us mm -hmm. about that like before it was like before yeah. you were thinking like this you said you had mm -hmm. that experience in new york when you were 20 when you felt as if you were new york right yeah and <laughs> yeah how how old are you now um 24 almost 25 yeah uh, okay cool cool so talk to us about like when you were when you were in new york and you have this experience mm -hmm. And you're yeah. 20 years old. What what is going through your head? Like you're you're mm -hmm. feeling as if you're all of New York. What does that mean exactly? Like how do you how yeah. do you put that into words and describe that to someone who has really no idea what you're talking about? For sure. So so I think like the way I would say I would now see the world is that you know like our reality or what's actually going on is of course much more complex and mysterious than of course like we think like we're you know so young like our life is very small so it makes sense that what's actually going on might be far crazier than we can comprehend and mm -hmm. and i think that as we grow up like when we're really young we kind of develop a, a view of what the world is and we kind of crystallize a little bit and we're like persons interacting with a separate world out there and essentially what I experienced was kind of pointing to is that everything in a sense is consciousness and that as a person, we're just an embodiment of that, but that everything is kind of made out of the same stuff in a way. And so what happened in that experience is that it's, it's almost like my entire, I would say, psychic structure or ego structure or whatever was just gone. And so... And there are so many levels of depth, so how you can see how the world is, that all kinds of different religions point to. And all those, in my view, are just different ways that our reality or consciousness can reveal itself, essentially, to us. 
And so in that experience, what happened is that as soon as that was gone, I immediately was not located in my body, but really everywhere. And it was just so obvious at that point that um, I was really everywhere, or at least that this is actually the true state of affairs when things are way more expanded without losing the sense that I was a body. I was still there. It's just that suddenly my boundaries were kind of blasted through. And at that time, though, it was... I could not conceptualize this. It actually took me maybe two years after that or three to really be able to speak about this and be like, okay, this is what's going on. This is what happened. But at that time, I was just completely like, it, would, it just blew my mind. I had no idea what happened. I even thought I was going crazy. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, and like what was crazy too is that even the depth of the experience was kind of like, that's something that kind of repeated through afterwards that, I would have never conceived was possible that our experience can kind of deepen and feel more profound. You know, it's like sometimes we just feel like things are profound. It was kind of that, but just drowned in it. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, yeah, I remember also the sense of peace that I had at that point was also kind of surreal. Like I didn't think that we could experience peace at such a level. It felt kind of like um, being drowned in it which was it was really like a saturation of it um yeah and that, that it was really kind of a breaking point to be like okay this world is a little more crazy and there is so much more to it than i've previously imagined it's a beautiful beautiful way to put it my man it's crazy because once you start messing around with like your own consciousness and in mm -hmm. terms of doing meditation or psychedelics, you come to understand and come to believe at least, at least from my perspective, that there's something more out there that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, it, and it's just like a knowing of that, you know, like mm -hmm. I've been meditating now probably for one year and mm -hmm. some of the stuff you're saying is, is completely out of my like understanding mm -hmm. some of it, I'm like, that makes complete sense, right? So yeah. one of the things that you're talking about is like just the level of peace and the level mm -hmm. of peace that comes with with letting go in a meditation session, a long meditation session, like, you know, 60 mm -hmm. minutes is just, it's surreal because you realize like, oh my God, there's nothing, there's nowhere to go. This is it. Like this is exactly this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and like just let go mm -hmm. of the experience and when you let go of the experience and find beauty in it, it's like mm -hmm. oh my god, like what if I treated every moment like this? What if I treated this conversation like this? What if I treated any anything I'm trying to achieve like this? And what I mean by like this, I mean just letting go and letting everything mm -hmm. letting no expectation of the past or future and it and it's something that i guess we're all striving to do but when you mm -hmm. sit in a, a long meditation session at least personally is i i feel that and that mm -hmm. sense of peace that comes from that is just so beautiful you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i think the way i see it now is that we kind of as we grow up do I, i i think that there is this kind of like consciousness is kind of in a state that's um like people talk about presence and kind of say that we are presence. And I think that that presence has like a lot of depth to it. And 
kind of transcend our physical body. But I mean, we, we could go there. But I think that essentially when we meditate, like at, for, so first, as we grow up, we kind of develop like a, a personality that kind of develops through conditioning that kind of teaches us how to act in certain ways. And that usually is a stored structure in our head that kind of has memories and reactions and ways of being in the world. But most of the time, that personality is kind of a dead process. It's like, you know, it's like things might be complete. You might require a completely different action. But because we have our fixed ideas about how things should be, we're kind of restricted in how we can act. But like as we meditate more and realize that we're actually beyond this personality, then we just have way more freedom of choice. And there's a way more intelligence that gets freed up because we don't see through that lens. And so at that point, then it's much easier to kind of be way more spontaneous and to kind of realize also that that spontaneity has way more intelligence than all the accumulated knowledge that we have in our head. And for me, that was one of the biggest mind-blowing thing ever because it took so much work to realize just this simple truth that actually just being spontaneous will take care of most of our life in a way that we can't even like comprehend and it takes some time to kind of release the grasp of oh i don't need to really you know sit on something like secure i can kind of let go in that sense with that and trust that kind of intelligence that can manifest when we're more spontaneous. So, you know, that's when, when we're in flow and then suddenly, you know, things just are way better, like on every level, like you're just way happier, you perform better, everything is going well. And from my perspective, I think that flow is actually how things are kind of all the time. It's just that we use our work to kind of squeeze ourselves into a truer perception of what's going on. But you can actually drop into flow all the time. If you get to see every moment as kind of that challenge of perception, then you can constantly tune into that, even in this conversation where you're more fused to the immediacy of what's happening versus the ideas that might be separating us from the direct perception. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that because it's like when you're in a good conversation – you totally mm-hmm. lose sense of time, right? You lose sense of yeah. the past. You you lose sense of the future. And you're just so in the moment. And you're not thinking about how do I look at this time? How do I – the reason why I do these as phone calls and we don't see each other is because I think that when you could see yourself, that's unnatural. And that leads you to less flow. And that makes you more like, oh, how do I look at this time? But the truth is – in, when we have a conversation in real life, we don't aren't thinking about how we look. We're not checking the mirror every three seconds. We're just fully focused on the other person. And these conversations are done on the phone for that reason. Because I want the guest, I want you to fully forget that you're in a state of anything. And I want you to be fully immersed in, in what we're talking about. So, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy what you said because it's exactly what I try to do on this podcast. Yeah, and I love that. It's kind of, um, yeah, and I think it's it's definitely amazing when, even when you're talking to someone, like a lot of the time, you know, like the best conversations with people are really when you're, you're just talking, like you don't even know where those thoughts are coming from. It's kind of like a flow that's kind of happening. And it's, it feels much better than when you're in your head trying to <laughs> prepare what you're going to say next. Like that usually breaks the entire process. And I think it's the case for everything. Um, yeah. So you talked about 
you know, you have more intelligence when you're in this flow and you have more mm-hmm. intelligence when you have access to to everything. So yeah. talk about so talk about like why you think that is. Why do you think when you go into a meditation session, when you take a shower, right before you take a nap, why you have access to more intelligence? Why is that from your perspective? Yeah, so well, so first, I think that really the current view of like most of modern science is really that we evolved and then our brain reached a level of complexity and then boom, we have consciousness and subjective experience. But like my perspective is that consciousness is really everything and it goes through just levels of evolution that's, uh, con- that's uh, in line with how we've evolved. So it means that as our brain evolved, we developed capacity for self-reflection and all of that stuff. But that basically matter, or like our entire physical reality, is one organization of that consciousness. And so that's like a huge paradigm shift because then it means that where is information stored? Like what is intelligence? Like if I'm actually connected to everything, how does that information flow? Like what does that mean for how I work, how I see the world? And like I think the implications are really huge and kind of endless in how we can connect them. But I think that as we meditate and kind of move that level of identity in a way that's a bit more expanded, we're also able to process and get access to way more data. It's kind of like the unconscious is opened up more and you just have more stuff that you can be aware of that usually we just don't have access to because we're kind of seeing the world through our views. And so it's harder for us to open up to kind of that it's like your consciousness can restructure itself endlessly. And the more you're spontaneous, the more it can manifest essentially that intelligence. But if that intelligence is veiled through my view that, for example, there is a world out there and I'm this person and that world is out there to get me, then I already kind of fixated that intelligence within that view. But if I'm more open and I don't have any view of any kind, then the most optimal view is more likely to arise because I'm way more open about it. And I think that even with flow, that's kind of what happened. We're just so much more open and we just don't get in the way of that information flow to get processed properly without kind of fiddling with it and trying to be like, no, actually, I don't like this. I like this. It's like as soon as we do that, I think we just really damn the flow. And um, yeah. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. It's like when we put... When we put labels on things, like, mm-hmm. and we start judging and we say, oh, I like myself now, or oh, that person's wrong, oh, this person is good, this person's bad, and we start labeling everything, we start to get into a lot of trouble because, like you said, we're not open, we're closed at that point. And that was a big mindset shift for me when I read The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, yeah. right? It yeah. was like, he he was just open, open about everything in the surrender experiment as well. He he documented and showed how just being open led to all these rich experiences that he never, ever could have predicted, but he was just open mm-hmm. to the experience. And, you know, it's crazy because that's how this podcast came to be. I was doing phone calls with people from Twitter, and then I was just open to the experience of learning more about people. And I was like, wow, like these conversations should be public. So I started being open to that experience and we'll see what where this leads. But the point is that it's like by being open, you can just give yourself more possibilities for what is possible, right? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that because it's kind of like um, like when you're a child, like you have no idea about how insane the world you're living in is. You know, you might be living in a house and you think there's only this house. It's like hard to think, oh, fuck, there are countries or galaxies, you know, like you just have no idea about how insanely rich the world is. And it's the same for even our inner life. But I think that because we have ideas about it, like we're you're essentially you're like constricting the future because you're like, oh, this is how things should go. Or I can experience love only this way. It cannot be more. And so because you don't have that openness, then it kind of restricts and you kind of confirm it by just living your life. You just can easily confirm anything that you believe, essentially, and which will kind of keep that restriction. But I think the more we open, oh, I have no idea what's possible or how more expanded like my even my inner world can be, which kind of is really our entire experience. But And I think being open to those things is really like a huge key. Even when people, I think, engage in spiritual work, it's like without that openness, like nothing really can happen. Like you really need that. And I think that there's also a component sometimes because we feel like if we're too open, it's like something bad is going to happen. Like that's like a, one of the huge programming of openness because we're like, well, if I'm too open, like something's going to hit me or attack me or something bad is going to happen. So much better to be a little more contracted, which is kind of what we learn when we're like children. But the more we kind of realize that actually being open is actually what's best for us, then it's kind of a bit more kind of changes into more like a, I like to see it as like an adventure where it's like, I literally have zero idea really where my life is going to go, but I'm confident that it's going to go in a good place. And like, because of that, it also makes it more fun. Cause if I knew exactly where I would be in 10 years, I mean, it's like knowing the end of a movie. It's pretty boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, so interesting because when you start thinking like that, right, that your life is like, you're living out a movie character and mm-hmm. you know you know the ending's going to be great you know you know you're going to get to where you want to go but mm-hmm. you have no idea how you're going to get there that's super exciting mm-hmm. and that just yeah. gives you the sense that like you're living as a child you're living just with complete mm-hmm. and under utter wonderment of what is about to happen and it just gives mm-hmm. you the freedom to be open like we, we were just talking about. Like it, when you know you're going to end up in a great place, it's like you're just watching a beautiful movie. So I absolutely love it, man. Yeah. And I think also having the awareness to that you can be, you know, because you're open, you're probably also open to how you're going to react to anything that might happen. And usually the more you open, you the more it's probably going to be in a very positive way that things might be reinterpreted or or anything so in general i think it's like just an amazing way um to live and it's like the it's like you can really push also that openness you know it's like so open that you don't even know for example you know you include even what you think you are what you think the world is and i think that's where a lot of the juice is because often we'll be open within our framework of what we think the world is which is something that we've acquired when we're really young that few people grow out of because our entire society is built around it. So everything is reinforcing that this is how the world works. Like there is things out there, we're little people, we're interacting and we get things from the world. But again, like I think really my view is that everything is really consciousness. Like it's like a much more, it's like very real. Like you can experience it and it has huge implications. 
And I think that just knowing that without even experiencing it, I think can already kind of expand a little our views because like the true state of affairs is that this world is pretty amazing essentially. And so it's like kind of cool to also know, at least for me it was helpful to kind of hear all these people talk about how amazing things are when you see clearly. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I don't see clearly now, but it's exciting to see that the world is like much more wonderful than we might even think now. Mm. Yeah, that that's beautiful. And it's it's really fascinating to think about what the implications of that are. So mm-hmm. so talk to me about that. What what are the implications mm-hmm. from your perspective of of consciousness being everything and and mm-hmm. and what exactly you're talking about? Yeah, I think the implications are huge because like basically well, in one way, it kind of shows that what we are is really inseparable. And so how we conceive even of intelligence, of what it is to live a good life, how people help each other. I mean, all of these kind of kind of intersect more. But I think in a more like tangible way, like the way I see is that our life is, you know, what's the point? And most of the time it's like, you know, we're going through all of these experiences and we want to know, we want to have amazing experiences like we want to have a good life we want to be loved to do exciting things go on adventures or however we want to see it um and i think that all of those experiences like if we think about what's the component of it that makes it useful or that makes it amazing in that sense and most of the time it's just the way that we live through it like our experience of the world um because we can't really experience anything other than our experience of it and I think that the fact that everything is consciousness or that we are consciousness just means that there are all kinds of, I'm going to just say dimensions, but like depth that we can access that essentially infuses our entire world or our experience of the world, which is much more depth. So, for example, um, it is possible to see that this consciousness is literally made of love. And that is like hard to believe. You know, I totally did not believe. I was like, this this cannot be, you know, it's impossible. But it's like because I had ideas about what love means. But love kind of referred to something different than I had in mind, at least when people describe consciousness. And my view of it is that um, all of these things are kind of inherent in consciousness and are always there at all times. So usually, for example, if I want to experience more love, like I might think that I need to do something or I'll be with this person and then that person is going to give me love. But my perspective is that all I'm doing is actually giving myself a permission slip to feel the love that's already there because Mm -hmm. the person is just talking to me. But if you really think about it, and that's a little mindfuck, that person is just like, they're just saying different words and you might visually see a person, but nothing they're doing is actually, you know, where is the love coming from? And like they're literally just triggering it. And in your head, you're like, oh, well, this person loves me or something. And then you allow yourself to feel the love that's actually always already there. And essentially, because we have this perspective about how the world works, we're kind of drip feeding ourselves (laughs) that love by doing things that we think is going to give it. But because love is intrinsically what we are, we can never do anything that's going to give it to us. We can only allow those things to symbolize that we now can allow ourselves to be in a much more loving uh, way. And I think that applies to 
all the qualities that makes life worth living, like peace, strength, um, willpower, like passion, um, like all kinds of things. And all of them are really just a form that consciousness can take. And I think when we take that view, it's like completely life-changing because you're like, oh my God, like I've been using the world to kind of know myself and allow myself to feel those things. But actually I can feel those things first or I can allow myself to dive into those things irrespective of what the world is going on. And I think when we see it this way, then we can kind of see that kind of, in my view at least, like spiritual development is getting in touch with all of these things, like immediately, like directly without, for example, being like, oh, if I'm, I have a love affair, then I have more love in my life, but more like where, what is actually going on? Like, where is the love coming from? Like, why do I even like it? And it's like, it seems a little insane to ask those things or question it. But I feel like the more we do, the more we can kind of expand this aspect. And the crazy thing is that then that spiritual development is separate from, for example, how we live our life. Or at least it does meet, but it's separate. So it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, working as an entrepreneur or, um, or I don't know, like traveling the world and doing nothing um, per se, like it, they're kind of separate components. Like it means that if I know that intrinsically I am love or intrinsically like the strength that I feel is not de dependent on the world, then you can live them and infuse everything that you do in your life with those qualities, which is a completely paradigm shift because you, you come from a place of completeness versus a place of, oh my God, I need to get this from the world. Um, yeah, I think those are, I yeah. I want to give you a hug, my man. I, I really do <laughs> because, because you just explained my life philosophy in, in just a few minutes there. It's really, <laughs> it's fascinating because yeah. when you, when you start acting full of love, it's crazy what happens, right? It's crazy what, what mm -hmm. the world reflects back to you. And when you're acting with that love, with the no, knowing that you are that love to begin with, then it, it becomes like a whole new ball game of life. You're not doing things to get the love of someone else. You understand you can give yourself love at any time. And anyone listening right now, you can give yourself love right now. Literally say, I love you and feel what it feels like to give yourself a hug. And, and just think about that for a second. It, it really feels amazing. And it, the crazy thing is, it's like you that is available to you at any time and you can give that to someone else at any time. And what that does for the world, right? It's like you can then, if you're walking on the street and you see someone, you could literally have a conversation and infuse that, that love that you have for yourself and infuse that other the next person with it and they feel it. They know you have something about you that's different, you know, and it's and it's like that's always available to us. And I love what you just said about how like what you're trying to get out of a love affair, what you're trying to get out of love from someone else. Think about that and think about you are the one that's triggering in your own head that stuff. You are the one that's triggering it and you are the one that's that's going to say <laughs> Like, I love you, and I'm, I'm, dude, I am just so on the same page with you. I, I think it, what you're saying is <laughs> incredible. Yeah, and I think usually we, we forget too that the uh, implications are just so much more huge because it's like when you act from that place where you don't need anything from the world, but you kind of just express in it, 
then everything kind of is more like a expression of those qualities. And um, it might sound a little crazy, but I'm just going to stay. I think that ultimately to me, like reality is really like a motion picture movie, like the way it actually works, which is Say like that a again. huge. Yeah. So that's also what I think uh, like all kinds of people in almost all spiritual circles really would say that this is actually what's going on is that essentially our reality is really like a motion picture movie, meaning that every moment is really like an independent frame and our consciousness is kind of sifting through those frames very fast and creating kind of this entire experience of time. Um, that's, that can be a little mindfuck, but it's, it's like incredibly freeing. And um, like even people kind of say that like our reality is like flickering, like it goes from non-existence to existence, like, you know, non-stop essentially. And um, what's also freeing about this is kind of realizing that essentially what we're doing is that at every moment we're like entirely free. It's like a fresh, complete new moment where the entire universe almost is coming out and then it goes off and then go back, it goes back on. And it feels insane to say it, but uh, I really think that's actually what's going on and our science is kind of pointing toward there. But and some people experience it, like they experience themselves going in and out. Um, and But I think the implications are just that we have so much more freedom in how much we can change ourselves as well. Like, you know, because essentially what happens is that because we're so attached to our views of the world and what we are, as soon as, let's say, our reality gets created again, we just get created again with our entire, you know, memory and structures as well. Like it doesn't change that much. But at any point in time, you can make great strides in being like, oh, I'm not this. And if you just make that statement in this moment, then you're not it. If it happens the next moment, it's just because it just came back on again. And you just kind of um, uh, follow that. And you're like, kind of, it's almost like you're obeying to that reality and saying, yes, now it is the case. But if you're like just really intense about it, you can make insane changes. You're like, no, nope, that's not what I am. And then that's just gone. Like you, you can really make that. And you don't have to wait for, you know, all these ideas about how long change is supposed to take and all of these things. Like, and I think that's like super useful as a model of the world, even though it's it sounds insane. Like you can also extrapolate all kinds of things from it. Um, yeah, and ultimately it just goes back to that the real state of affairs is that we really are free and we really can create much more than I think we think. Uh, yeah, dude. So what you just said touched on something that's really interesting and that mm -hmm. is when i did my digital detox i did six days without clocks without phones yeah. laptops anything right and what i found was that in the second day at my journal i wrote i'm forgetting who i am and and i thought it was mm -hmm. so fascinating because I had no reminders, right? No one was, was reminding me that I was Danny Miranda. So I was also free to create whoever I wanted to create in that moment. I could be whoever I wanted to be. There were no standards I had to be. And it, it was just a mind fuck. It, it didn't make any sense to me at the time, but it, <laughs> yeah. it makes sense now. And mm -hmm. I also love what you're talking about that you can create yourself at any time because change really does happen in an instant, right? You decide mm – -hmm. people think they decide and then they wait a little bit and then it's going to take another – a few more days or a few more weeks or whatever. But what happens is when you want to make a change, 
and you do it. You do it in an instant. It doesn't matter if it if you start working out. Let's say it's your goal. I'm going to start working out, and you're like, okay, I'll do it next week. But when you do it next week, and let's say you you decide next week, you do that in an instant. You made the decision to start going to the gym. So it really is so true that you can be whoever you want to be in any moment. And if if what a part of your identity doesn't serve you anymore from the past get rid of it just let it go and and just go trash it and go (laughs) on to the next because everything we're doing is like we're all making it up on the fly and if something doesn't serve you anymore you just gotta get rid of it yeah absolutely and i think it's also like really insane in that sense because sometimes we, we can get dizzy because of how free we are actually at least that's been sometimes my experience because you just realize that you're really, really are free in every moment. Like, could it be anything? I could imagine myself as a planet or whatever. And that's just my reality at that moment. And then the moment after, I could be something else. And it's like, it's kind of insane, but it's like the more we also free up how this consciousness works. Because also the feeling that we're a body is just really conditioned into us because we just never questioned it. But sometimes you can have experiences where it expands a little bit and you're like, oh, hold on. I feel like kind of like a spaciousness or like a field. And that's a very real experience where those boundaries are just restricting the experience, but your consciousness is not defined by them. So like you're more like a field <laughs> and that's also a little mindfuck, but yeah. Yeah. So how would, how would someone go about yeah. like yeah. removing themselves from the body and becoming a For field? Sure. Yeah. So I think, so it took me a while. So I think I really went through so many different retreats and now that you're online, you can also kind of get so many and I probably went to like 30 different 10 day retreats. It's kind of insane. But um, essentially like over time, what I just realized is that really the best way to go about this whole spiritual spirituality business is really to just want to know the truth, but also to just dive in into your experience kind of on your own more than relying on what this guru or whatever says. And so for me, how it happened is I'm like, okay, so if people say that I'm in this field and this field is connected to everything, I'm like, okay, I really want to know. I have to know for myself. Like I can't just assume that it's the truth. And so I think in general, it's kind of developing a lot of like just curiosity for life and that openness and also that passion to be like, no, I really fucking want to know what's going on. Where are these boundaries even? Or where am I located? Like usually we don't ask those questions, but I think those can be incredibly powerful if we're ready for it. To just be like, okay, where am I right now? And then you're like, oh, fuck, I really cannot find myself anywhere. And then you're like, okay, so if I can find myself, it means that what I thought I was is just actually not real. It doesn't mean you're nothing. Like you're still there. So (laughs) it just means that what you thought you were is not what you actually are. And I think that the truth ultimately is really kind of salvation in that sense. Cause it's like, we feel like we're going to lose so much sometimes when you go on the spiritual journey. And I think that's why it's scary. Cause if you're like, Oh, actually I have no boundaries. The first thing that happens is your mind and your personality is actually unconsciously trying to not make you go there, which is why a lot of people don't go into the spiritual path because what it does first is just challenge your security and your sense of familiarity that you have about the world. Cause it's like, what happens if I have no boundaries? Imagine if I'm like, actually the entire universe even you know it's like fuck it's like it's like so much sometimes to handle that we just push against it and we don't actually look into our experiences like where is this boundary can i find the boundary 
between where is the end of my body or the end of where I can perceive. And then if you really become more honest and you just dive into your experience and you're like, okay, how about this? How about that? Like a child, you know, that's just trying to screw around with different things. Then things will just open up far more than any book will ever say because our own nature and that's also like just my view of how reality works is that it's constantly trying to reveal itself to itself and we're kind of like conduits in that process so it wants to actually develop like it's like just like anything like a seed is going to become a tree it's like it's hardwired to develop itself and we are the same and so the, if we engage in that same process it's like we're participating with this craziness of the universe that's trying to reveal itself and so just by wanting to know already we i think are opened up because we're like oh, okay so what's going on like am i really this field or am i this person and you just kind of do it on your own and i think already just that gives people a lot of like inner authority which for me was huge because it's very easy to be like um, I have no idea what's going on and just needing a lot of people to kind of define it for us, which I think is fine to get pointers into how it works, but ultimately it has to be what you think. So, for example, you know, people would say, oh, love is our nature. And it's like, how could I even know that love is our nature? And it's like, if you believe that someone says that and then you have crazy experiences where your heart opens and you're just feeling crazy love, blah, blah, blah then you might be like, um, okay, he might be saying the truth, but you're still not convinced because you don't understand why that is the case. And I think that that's like a huge roadblock in a lot of people that are on this spiritual path because it's like, without understanding it, like it's always going to be like a mirage, like you're constantly moving and you're not sure. But if you, for example, look into your experience, and my take is that we're like a field and that field is a field of awareness and that field of awareness is not bounded by anything. You really cannot find those boundaries like it really keeps expanding. And that if we realize it, another crazy thing is that that's, I think that's a useful pointer, but is that every point in that field is like a sensitive point that's aware of itself. So like meaning that if I feel sensations in my knee, I'm aware of the sensations in my knee. So like my knowingness of it is the same as the sensation itself, or I might be aware of something in my head. And those two things are the same, different points in the field, but both of them have similar components. Like I'm aware of both of them. They are all appearing in my consciousness. And, and usually when we start to look at what are things made of instead of what do they mean, I feel like that's when things start to open up. So I might, for example, see, I can just describe like an experience that I've had where, for example, I just realized that everything is made of light. And and for me, it was, um, it just happened by just looking at everything that I'm aware of. And instead of being like, oh yeah, sensations in my head, sensations in my knee, it's like, wait, wait a second, like, what is it made of? And then you're like, oh my God, it's really made of a kind of lucidity. Like everything is made of this lucidity, otherwise, they would not pop out, like I would not be aware of them. And when you see that, then if you extrapolate, then you're like, oh my God, everything that I'm aware of has that component. And then if you keep going, then you can just shift everything. And then that's why people will say, oh my God, we are beings of light. It's because we actually are, like that's just a perception that's possible. And <laughs> those things are just mind boggling, but at, at the end, um, they're actually simple in the sense that they're 
in my opinion, undeniable. They're just like experiences that you can go through that are uh, separate from ideas we have about what it might mean because you actually end up experiencing it. So that, that, that would be my take. I think you're just like kind of diving into it kind of like a science, but also kind of like an art too, where you're like just curious about what is this consciousness that you're living through? Um, yeah. I love what you said about when you start on this path or when you take a spiritual journey, your ego almost or, or yourself doesn't want to because it's very hard to for your for your mind not to have that security of who you are. And mm-hmm. it reminds me of just when you start a new habit, right? And the people around you aren't comfortable that you're starting this new positive habit or quitting a negative habit because it's making them question their own reality as well. And it's interesting yep. that you that you are you made that connection to to the spiritual idea where you are doing it to yourself because you don't want to release the the security of who you are. So it's it's very similar and it's very funny how how that works out, right? Oh, for sure. And I think that's where people talk about, you know, evil and inner demons and temptations and all of these, in my opinion, are like symbolism for not wanting to see the truth, basically. And it's like, if you, for example, seek pleasure and it prevents you from seeing the truth of the situation, you could say that's bad. It's evil. And in religions or whatever, people, that's when they'll be like, it's bad. But actually, there's nothing bad about pleasure. It's just that it, when it veils you from the truth, basically, then you could say it's bad. But you could also have pleasure and while being aware of the truth. And I think this is where things get complicated, where you could have someone that's fully enlightened and they could technically do anything and it would be fine from their perspective. And um, and it's really hard sometimes to know what's good from bad from those perspectives. But I think that, yeah, in general, like I think that we develop an ego as we learn to individuate ourselves and we're like, oh my God, and this, you know, you're a child. And then you just, in this crazy world, there's no hand manual. And you just learn, like, how do I relate? Oh, I'm this person. Oh, there's this person over there. I'm over here, over there, over here. And you just keep doing it, keep doing it. And then it conditions your consciousness to really see the world this way, even though that is not the case. Like, it is actually way more interpenetrable. Like, it's like a substance that is the same everywhere. And we're just one kind of version of it. But I think that, yeah, like the, it's super helpful to know that our personality absolutely hates the spiritual path. Like it just completely hates it because it, it exposes itself. Like that's the whole point. It's like you do it to expose yourself. And the personality is built to seemingly protect us from what he thinks is wrong, which when you're a child, you're just so naive that, you just learn that, for example, if you laugh a lot and then your dad, when your kid tells you, no, stop laughing, you might just start internalizing that laughing too much is not too good or it's not too good to laugh too much. And you might not even be aware of it. It's like an unconscious thing that is still operating you. But yeah, I think as we kind of expose that personality is hard because we're like, oh my God, how do I interact in the world without the ideas about who I am and what the world is? And that can be scary because then you're in a much more unfamiliar way. And I think that people that make a lot of very fast development in spirituality or in understanding what the fuck is going on. So I think it's just another way of saying it. <laughs> is that 
um, honestly, it's like, you know, you're just really trying to be like, okay, what's the truth? Like, what is going on? Like, who, yeah. how this is working? It's not like some woo-woo, otherworldly, crazy thing where there's some kind of heaven you're going to. Um, even though you can experience a, a kind of heaven, which is what people have been mm-hmm. talking about now. But it's like a whole other topic. But I think that, yeah, that awareness that the personality is the structure that prevents you by default from seeing the truth is very useful to understand how to navigate it. Because you could be meditating and the personality is going to be nonstop trying to not have you see it because it's too scared. But technically, you could completely walk out of it and be incredibly free suddenly, you know, or, you know, and just kind of blast through it almost. And um, yeah, and that's that's very useful. Um, when when yeah. you talk about the the situation of the dad yelling at you for laughing and then you start to internalize that laughing isn't good. Yeah. It's really interesting because when you do long meditation sessions, you are forced or I've been forced to confront a lot of these issues Mm -hmm. and a lot of these blockages, I like to call them, that have happened in the past where situations where you've done something wrong or situations where others have done things wrong to you. And it has allowed me to be more free in every interaction because it allowed me to just identify that, oh, this was something that that happened in my past and it doesn't serve me anymore and I can let it go by either forgiving myself or forgiving the other person. And so that is so powerful and that I think maybe is what meditation serves to do is like help you understand your own blockages, help you understand to be more aware of where you might have been blocked in the past. Has that been similar to your experience at all? Yeah, like 100%. Like the way I see the entire spiritual path is you're getting closer to what the truth is. And in the beginning, you're like, oh, I want to know the truth because it's going to make me feel good. You know, that's kind of the motivation we all have. But at some point, you're like, oh, shit, I actually want the truth more than I want to feel good. And you just realize that it actually is so much more better. But it just takes time to actually taste it, to kind of see that it's actually the case. Where you're like, oh, I want to be real. Like, I, I don't care about, you know. Um, but anyway, so it's like, um, I think that, yeah, like, because you're trying to get closer to what's actually going on, like, the, all the patterns and blockages that we have are actually in the way of that truth. Like, they're literally what's blocking our expanded version of who we are or our full expression of what we could be is entirely blocked by our personality, like entirely, because instead of seeing this moment completely fresh, which is every time it is entirely newly generated, new, newly fresh, we're like projecting it through. It's like we're wearing lenses and those lenses are entirely determined by our early childhood. And even society sometimes is like you're just projecting your relationship with your mother, for example. And and there are all kinds of subtle things that you can kind of get into. And that's part of, I think, the spiritual path where you just kind of figure out those patterns. And it's like, oh, shit, that's what was going on. And then immediately you're freed from it because that unconscious, mm-hmm. as soon as it becomes conscious, you're like, oh, that doesn't even make sense. Like, why would I not laugh? You know, it's kind of stupid when you think about it. But then you're like, that was actually my reality. Like I was because you're the superego, too, is a very it's like a bully inside your head. And I think it really fucks with people's experience so much and it's a huge thing to i think learn to be free from it like it's hard to imagine sometimes that we can act with zero judgments towards anything it's like wait how does that even work you know it's like we're so used to having this little voice in our head 
that's actually our parents' voice from when we were really young that we internalize. And um, yeah, and I think getting freed from it kind of gives us so much more breath and freedom. And you can even, for example, when you people engage in addicting behaviors and everything, usually it's because you're kind of fighting a bit with that super ego that's also making you judge yourself for it, which actually does not even help the whole process. And it gets tricky, but it's, um, yeah, in my view, it's kind of like the whole the whole thing. And I think also that when people kind of approach like enlightenment or awakening, that in my view, I think that word is really like a, every tradition kind of says a different thing about it, but it has also like different degrees of depth, but all of them are kind of moving your identity to something that's true. So you might be like, oh, I'm consciousness. Oh shit, this consciousness is beyond time. Oh shit, this consciousness is beyond space. Oh shit, blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of keep going through those levels. But those levels are not going to expose like your unconscious. So if you're an asshole, basically, you could be an enlightened asshole, easy. And so that's a little confusing because we really have this, I had this idea that if you're enlightened, you just act perfectly and you're just like morally genius that understands everything. And that's just not the case. Like you might see everything as a love light and everything is interconnected and you're just unbounded, crazy, expensive state, but you might still be an asshole and you might see this assholeness as a great expression <laughs> of consciousness, you know? And <laughs> I think that it's like a different level where it's good to be aware of because it's like, it, it makes sense sometimes because you can see spiritual people and be turned off of the path when actually it has totally nothing to do with spirituality. It's more that the person is not, has not integrated or is like in a blind spot when it comes to this, which is kind of how the personality works. Yeah, when, when you say that, it makes me think of Eckhart Tolle and how he posted something on Instagram one time, I think a, a coffee cup from Starbucks. And people yeah, got yeah. really mad online because <laughs> they're like, "How could Eckhart Tolle be enlightened when he goes to Starbucks?" And I was like, yep. "I was like, what does A have to do with B?" Like, like I Absolute. don't see the connection. But I saw so many people upset about that that it made me think mm-hmm. of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and people will have the same thing. Like, you're like, "Oh, why are you having sex? Aren't you blissed out already?" You know, it's like people are like confused because their views of the world is like uh, projected on kind of like this enlightened being. I think sometimes you would just drink a glass of wine and people are like, why would you drink a glass of wine? You know, it's like the whole, it like shatters our views of what it means. But I think that we have different lines of development. Like you can develop cognitively, you can develop like your views of the world, like you can develop your spiritual identity, which is, I, I feel like what's most alienated in our world. Like we know how to maybe develop a little cognitively, but we're like jammed up in terms of our identity. And the cognitive development is also linked to the spiritual one. Like if you can't transcend what you think you are, you're jamming up the levels of cognitive development you can go through as well, which is like rarely talked about. Like for me, just took a lot of time going into all kinds of very niche research and work to kind of see that actually that's what's going on. And that, um, yeah, just amazing. And I think also that a lot of people that, get turned off by spirituality usually don't know what spirituality means like to me it's like it's just development like you your identity can just keep expanding and it's like it's just the truth like you can deny it or conceptualizing in endless ways all those different uh like spiritual traditions kind of point to that same truth but also that 
ultimately is kind of like diving in and seeing for ourselves. And I think that that's kind of the same impetus that the universe or whatever is also doing. You're just constantly creating all kinds of life forms, nonstop creation. And the more we kind of align with that, the more we have all kinds of capacities and ways of seeing the world that kind of comes online. And it's like, it's really insane that the universe, however you want to see it, really wants to know itself through us almost. And so as we engage that, it's almost like everything gets refined, like your senses get refined, your love gets refined, everything gets more and more intense, more and more, uh, like, uh, more and more real. And it can be really mind boggling, like what's possible for us, or at least um, I feel like the things that I've been exposed to have really shattered my worldviews and kind of made me see how much our inner life is what gives the juice to our entire experience. And so if we get more in touch with it, then it just changes everything. And then our work is just the same. It's like you, you can learn how the world works through your work, through your interactions with people, through being with people. And so it doesn't have to be just when you meditate. It can be like literally every moment of your life. You're like, oh, what's going on here? Am I more open? What happens when I'm more open? Oh, fuck, I feel a little more free. And sometimes you just start making those connections and you're like, oh, shit. And you kind of can expand like more and more this way. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. And what I wanted to touch on was yeah. something that uh, it was something you tweeted. And I want you to expand on it a little bit because yeah. I think it's just it's really interesting. And mm -hmm. so here's the quote. It says, true service is not about doing a morally good action. True service is not about serving somebody else. True service is serving essence. Be selfish. Serving essence serves the essence of everybody else. Just a beautiful quote and I wanted you to expand on it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty, um, yeah, it's like not a popular view. But so I guess first it's like defining kind of what essence is and Essence to me is uh, like we, we're a soul, and I would say the soul is the site of all experience. That's just the definition. So it means it's the entire entirety of your experience. And essence in this case is the inherent qualities inherent in consciousness. And those qualities are, they actually never change. Like uh, people have called them also like, it's like uh, platonic forms. Like Plato was like, there are forms. Like if you experience love, everyone experiences the same love. If you experience peace, everyone experiences the same peace, even though that can be experienced at different levels of depth and refinement based on where you're coming from, it's still the same qualities. And so your soul can open up to those qualities, which is essence. And those qualities, in my opinion, are what makes us human. That's what makes mankind its richness, because they're like what defines everything, you know, peace, truth, value, nourishment, like all of those are qualities of consciousness that we can experience and and these qualities can become so developed and so refined that they can really be like you know it's like intense like you can experience love that's maybe a hundred times more like a thousand times more powerful which is very hard to conceptualize but it can become like your experience um then it's like you know that because this essence is literally there all the time that essentially whatever supports this essence to be actualized and to come true 
is really what supports the proper real juice of what mankind is. And because that's, uh, that would be like the view, then it means that if I support someone and so much harm has been done based on helping people, based on our ideas about what it means to help people. And so, you know, it's very easy to get trapped in what I think is morally good. And it's like everybody has a different opinion on that. And then, you know, you're willing to fight for it. And I think that when we have those ideas, it's much harder to actually support mankind because we're just all operating on these different ideas about what we think is morally good or like, oh, I want to help this person. And usually that kind of constricts us with our personality because then it's like, oh, I'm this person that helps people. So I feel good about myself. Like it's not really a, a true service, essentially, because oftentimes like you might do it because you want to feel good or you feel bad about yourself or the more you help, the more it inflates your self-worth or something like th these things can happen when you're operating from that doesn't mean they actually always happen, but it's possible. But when you're actually supporting the life of essence, which means that first you have to support it for yourself. If you can't be loving, if you can't be at peace, there's no way you're going to help the world. Um, be in those things because you're in a kind of diluted version of it. Um, whereas when you're living it, then it's much easier because by living your life, you're immediately supporting everyone's essence because you would never like they go hand in hand because they would be kind of inseparable. So it's like if loving love is my nature, then I don't think about service. I just love everyone like directly. Like I, I don't even think about Oh, I need to love this person. I, I just love them by default. And it's the same with peace. Everything is just peaceful. And you and I think that that's huge because that's also what some religions have said and all kinds of things too. But it's, so it's not like I came up with it. I just kind of see saw the truth in it. And so that's kind of why I shared it. Yeah. But I think that's a, yeah. Um, it's uh, It's really interesting because it goes back to something that Tej and I talked about on the first episode of this podcast, which was just the idea of you need to take care of yourself before you take care of somebody else and before you present yourself to the world even. It's like if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't meditate, if you don't do the things that serve you, if you don't work out, if you don't read 10 pages of a book, right? It's like, if you don't do these things to make yourself feel whole, whatever those things may be for you, yeah. then how are you supposed to be whole for somebody else? You can only give someone what you have. And if you're only have half of yourself, you're only going to present that half of yourself to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not even setting a good example. It's kind of like not being authentic and sacrificing yourself to be a good person. Actually, what you're doing is kind of showing that you cannot help people uh, without being authentic, which to me is not even good. It's like you have to kind of act the way you would want, I don't know, a children or someone you love. You want them to act the same way. So it's like if I can be authentically myself and supporting the whole at the same time, which is totally possible, the more you get closer to what consciousness is because then you're like, oh, fuck, everything is interconnected. Me living my best life is helping the whole. And that's fucking amazing that that's the case because it really is the case. And it's like, we can kind of be all unique while sharing the same ground of qualities that are essential to what we are. And it's like, I think it's like just huge because so many people in our world are like, you feel kind of a deficiency 
So you might not be very loved. And so you kind of become a social activist or something. And uh, like not to shit on it, but for a lot of people, it becomes like a way to fill that hole and to feel like you're going to help people by kind of uh, maybe hating on the world for things that might be not good. But in my opinion, that just serves the opposite. All you do is kind of reinforce those patterns instead of actually coming from a place of love, for example. And I think that's just, that's really where the real change happens. Even people you hate, it's like if you love them, you immediately see more clearly. And then you can act objectively. It doesn't mean you act like a soft and stupidly, you know. You can still be objective, but it means that, in my opinion, for example, love is the melting of boundaries. So it's like, oh, fuck, we are the same thing. Like it's a mm-hmm. unity. And so, and you feel it. Like the more you, even bliss, like the more you get to it, is the more you separate, there are less and less boundaries. And when you love someone, you actually want to almost unite with them. You want to know things about them. It's like, that's kind of how that force works. And I think that when we have that with the world, that it has then a huge, powerful effect, especially when that love is challenged. It's like, can I be loving even when horrible things are happening? And I think if we can, that's when we actually are supporting those qualities to happen. We're setting kind of an example that even when things is horrible, we can still be loving. And I think that that's much better than kind of reacting to everything like crazy. And uh, that's kind of what the quote is kind of saying is that the life of essence is kind of supporting that humanity in us, whatever happens in our outside world. And the more we're in touch with them, the more we will recognize them in other people. If I'm in touch with my peace and with love and with strength and all kinds of crazy things, even like passion and willpower and even power, like you can experience yourself as the inherent quality of power which is way crazier than a power high that you might get because you have i don't know uh, 50 million dollars or whatever it's like it can be way more powerful as an actual experience because you're going to the source of it instead of the symbols that might make your mind trigger a little power inside your head then you can also see it in other people and when we see it in other people we allow ourselves in my opinion to be really fully authentically ourselves because then it's very hard to be I mean, for me, for example, it's very hard for me to be triggered or to, like, I just don't care. Like, you just say whatever you want. And it's much more fun to interact with the world this way. Like, I, you're not going to, like, hurt me by saying stupid things. It doesn't affect me. Because I, you just see that people are just acting out their own world inside their head. And uh, if you partake in it, you just, it's almost like voting for reality, our collective reality, to be like this. So every time I react, I'm like, yeah, I'm voting for us as mankind to react whereas if i'm like no i decide to be loving i decide to have joy even though there is mess going on and i decide to also do something about it then it's like you're just casting a vote so everyone is more likely to do that and it's just so much better (laughs) i i love that you said that and it it's so true and i try to think about that that whatever we're saying whatever we're doing we're amplifying and that's the Mm -hmm. message we want to get across and once you realize that you think to yourself, oh, why wouldn't that be of love? And why wouldn't that be something to like help other people? Like if you're amplifying those messages, why wouldn't you amplify the message of becoming the greatest version of yourself, of, mm-hmm. of expanding, you know? So I'm totally with you. I also love what you said about you don't get triggered. And I, I <laughs> feel the same exact way because the reason for that, I believe, is because I've spent so much time figuring out what triggers me and what what has yeah. triggered me in the past 
And another thing is like the the off chance that I do get triggered, I don't look at that as a bad thing anymore. I look mm-hmm. at that as like, oh, there's something here. There's some part of me that is still attached to this. Maybe we could figure out why. And if you start going down that rabbit hole and you get upset at little things, for anyone listening, if you start getting upset at little things, really think about that. Really think about where that came from. Did it come from a relationship with one of your parents or a friend or something in your childhood? And if you dig deep, you might be able to find something. And once you become aware of it, like you were saying before, it really frees you from the situation. Yeah, like a thousand percent. And I think it's also like my view too is that I was thinking about this for a while and how you can have a perspective where every time something bad happens, like from my perspective, usually we are trying to go towards pleasure and we go away from pain. So it's like you have pleasure and then you're like, oh, fuck it. I just want more of it. You know, it's like, and pain, you're like, you know, move away. Um, but it's like if you take the more like truthful perspective, then um, then essentially like pain is always like teaching something like actually every time something bad happens, that's just amazing because it's just, in my opinion, signaling that you're misperceiving something because usually suffering is really optional. Like, and whenever we suffer, it's good because then you're like, Oh fuck, I'm going in the wrong way. You know, it's like, and it just helps you kind of understand yourself way more. Like if we didn't have any of this, we'd be doing all kinds of stupid shit. Like, thank God we actually suffer. Because otherwise, you would not be able to move towards wherever is like richer, like the richer thread of your life. Because, yeah, and that, that kind of is a guiding post. And for me, that was a huge shift when I was like, whoa, every time I feel contracted, every time I feel lost or empty or whatever, then I know that something is going on that must be understood. And every time I understand it, it just clears entirely. And then I'm back to feeling much better. But it's like, I think it's good to also not repress those things. And that's also the whole thing with the superego. It's like, as soon as you remove that judgments, then you can, you know, even if suddenly I hate something, it's not like I'm like, I shouldn't hate things. It's like, no, just, it's okay. <laughs> you just, if like it happens, then it just happens. And then after that, you can kind of understand it. You can't repress those things. Otherwise they just keep accumulating until you explode. So it's fine to also be human and just, you know, be offended by things or it, these things happen, but we can kind of understand them. So that we get to the root cause and then free ourselves up from those things. And with pleasure too, like I think when good things happen to us, it's also an amazing opportunity to be like, oh, hold on. What is actually going on? Because the more you kind of get interested in it, the more you can literally deepen. And so you can have joy and then you can make that joy like 10 times stronger if you get kind of immersed into it and curious about what does even joy feels like, you know? Like sometimes we like feel joy and then we're like, fuck yeah, like I don't want to think about this. But it's like if you think about it, it's like, whoa, like what does joy feels like? And the more you know how joy works or how love works or how sadness works, the more you kind of kind of like um, orient yourself towards them and very quickly catch what's going on in your mind or what might be blocking it. And I think that's also kind of that openness of what's going on. And I think the more we get familiar with this, which very few people talk about, but it's like the more we can really move those states and they can really, really expand. Like I've had states where I'm more, it's like stronger than MDMA. And it's like, I never heard, they don't teach you this at school that you can love that much. But it's, it's very real. Like I, I experienced it and I would have never experienced it if I was not open to it. If I'm, as soon as it start to arise, you're not like, oh, that's it. And you kind of squish it. And instead, you're like, oh, whoa, like something is happening. Like, what does that expansion feels like? 
And then you're like, oh shit, that's what love means. And it's kind of endless, like how you can know those things. Like I know, you know, in some teachings, people go incredibly deep. Like they talk about it. You, you just think it's like a fairy tale, you know, they're like, yeah, I experienced this thing and this tastes and all kinds of insane, insane stuff about all these qualities. And and everyone has them and they're there at all time. You don't even need to develop them. Like all you need to do is become more transparent and less rigid about how you see the world. And then those things can be invited. Um, yeah. So before we wrap this baby up, yep. I want to, dude, I thought this was <laughs> going to be a podcast where we talked about your business stuff and, and yeah. then we touch on the spiritual, but instead we went full spiritual and I love it. And yeah. so I want to I want to take just a, a brief moment to talk about your business yeah. and talk about you know I was going through your LinkedIn before mm-hmm. and and I love this quote I love you how you said this you're talking about your your agency and you say we scale six figure businesses health related businesses to seven figures in record time on a performance basis. We do this by out caring and out thinking the competition. I love this because it just is so, it makes so much sense after mm-hmm. talking to you and reading your tweets, why you would say out caring and out thinking, but just yeah. talk a little bit about those words and, and talk a little bit about like why you chose those words. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I love that the in general the business is in performance basis. So I love that you know you have skin in the game. Um, but yeah, I think that I mean all business at the end of the day is about providing value to people, at least perceived value. And what people really want a lot of the time is also being cared for and feeling like it's more than than just a brand that they're interacting with, like kind of bringing more and more that human touch into this. And um, yeah, and I think in general, a lot of companies kind of are working at a very superficial level. It's like, you know, you're just trying to figure out certain keys that will open people instead of like, no, 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 genuinely, how can I genuinely help people? And how can I position myself so that not only am I helping them with this brand, but I'm positioning myself so I'm helping them forever. And I think that's a huge long-term paradigm shift Mm. that... Um, once you do that, then you're forced to kind of raise your game because you're like, how can I really support these people? And if you really support people, then you will have a successful business. Like there's just no way around it because that's, you can easily differentiate yourself in the market in all kinds of industries because people do not put the customer first because you really have to put your heart into it and people feel it like you, that can really become transparent in the work. And I think this is game changing because I think more and more people are going to want to interact with services, with brands, with people that have their heart into it, that actually feels like they're actually supporting them. And when you can do that and have the balls to kind of be like, I just want money from people that I will generally benefit, then paradoxically, that's when you make the most money. And because most people are not willing to do that because the lure of making quick money is too big. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to kind of see longer term, then you can kind of like, make way more in my opinion and help way more people and it's like the best of both worlds and i think uh, yeah and it's like out carrying the competition is then easy you just go see comp- uh, you know companies and you're like wow that's how i feel treated by them how can i be treated better 
and outthinking too is kind of also in terms of the strategy and and uh, I think leading people as well because you know we have just so much information. I think hiding information from people and only giving them what they need is also part of what brands should do, which is kind of like putting themselves in a better leading position. And to the customer, they have no idea what's going on behind the things, but to them, they're just like, oh, that's an amazing experience, which is the only thing that matters to them. And I think when we see it kind of this way, then we can do entrepreneurship at a much higher level. And and for me, that's, that's also been by far the biggest question mark in my life was just that when I was diving into all these spiritual things, I would have just crazy experiences that would just completely <laughs> deconstruct my world. And at the same time, I was working super hard on, on, especially the first year on the business. And I was like, how does this to work? Who is even working here? You know, and it's like I had all these crazy questions that I was trying to answer. And it's like over time, the two kind of started merging into each other. And you're like, oh, wow, like my spiritual work is my entrepreneurial, or is my entrepreneurial work. It's just my way of expressing myself in the world. And I think it just becomes then so much more fun because then you don't use entrepreneurship. Like entrepreneurship is almost like your way of life where you're just expressing yourself and everyone has their way of expressing that. But um, yeah, I could expand on anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's really crazy because what you're talking about is just that every, every moment becomes a, a way to express your love and your your care for the world and you're doing that through the vehicle of business in one sense you're doing that in this conversation in another sense you know and and you get the feeling that uh you you really you really do care brother and it's it's been such a pleasure talking to you it's been such a pleasure having this conversation why don't you tell everyone where they could find you where they could find more chris in their life and, and <laughs> dude i'm so grateful for this thank you for taking the time no, absolutely. Like it's a great pleasure for, to interact too. I'm super stoked also for uh, our relationship to evolve. Um, and um, I think um, people can probably find me on Twitter. I'm not super active on any other platform like whatsoever. And um, I'm planning at some point to be writing a bit longer form articles. But if people want to interact, they can DM me on Twitter. I'm always happy to answer anything, especially when it comes to spirituality. Just I love this shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's Chris Chris Elamri, C H R I S E L A M R I. You can find him on the Twitter sphere. Thank you again, Chris, for joining us today. Thanks. That was my conversation with Chris Elamri. If you enjoyed this conversation. Let me know on Twitter at Hey Danny Miranda, or feel free to leave a review on iTunes. That really helps the show grow. Thank you so much for listening into the final seconds. Appreciate the hell out of you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll see you guys in the next one.